Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Come on! Go! Hey guys, welcome to The Tapping Go. My name is Matt. My name's Freddie. Each week we bring you your rugby fix with interviews with past and present rugby professionals and we get their views on the latest sporting issues. Hey guys, welcome back to a new series of The Tap and Go. Matt and I are here hoping to bring you a new guest lineup with some pretty good speakers, some pretty interesting guys. I'm going to try and give you a big variety this, uh, this season. Today we're joined by Australian Sevens captain and Olympian, uh, Nick Maloof. Nick, how are we? I'm really good. How are you guys? Yeah, very well, thanks. Very well. So I guess so we, we want to start off with obviously your sevens because that's I guess your main thing and obviously the big topic of, of the past uh, I guess 18 months is the coronavirus and especially in the sevens world how much it's impacted the, uh, the whole sevens game. So how, what's it been like with the postponing of the World Series and I guess almost every fixture because of it? Yeah, initially you realise that it's been over a year since we've been able to play on the World Series, which personally, and I know a lot of guys have struggled and, and really missed. I think you almost didn't realise how much you enjoyed being able to travel and play in front of big crowds every couple of months until it was, was taken away from us. From the perspective of our squad, we've tried to look at it um, as a positive and I think it's actually been a really good time for the sevens program within the framework of Australian rugby, because it's allowed guys to play some 15s at the moment. We've got um, Lockie Anderson, Gerald, Skelton um, and Louis Holland down at the Rebels. Tim Anstey's been at the force and he's just been named in the Wallaby squad. Uh, and the rest of the guys played a full season of shoot shield, um, in Sydney and were really impressive. So for us, it's actually it's actually allowed the program to sort of be put back in the spotlight, not because of what we've been able to do on the sevens pitch, but actually what we've been able to show the 15s guys. So we've tried to take um, positives like that out of it um, as challenging a period as it's been. You talk about those guys who have gone to play 15s. Do you think that there's potentially aspects that they're going to have picked up from the 15s game and now can potentially bring back to 
sevens game and like potentially a way that Australians decide could differ from the others. Yeah, I think the the good part about fifteens, I know when I spent time at Leicester, I mean, you're just involved in a new environment, learning off other guys, you're challenging yourself in a different way. Um, I think sevens is probably what's going to put your skills under the microscope more than anything else. Um, but it might just be learning some different techniques at the, the ruck or just getting more out of that, the collisions that you're naturally going to get more of in a 15s game. Um, so yeah, it's, they would have picked up a couple of things, but I think just being in a different environment and I know speaking from my personal experience, it just brings more out of you, refreshes you and, and makes you hungrier to come back. And you spoke of that environment. Is there a big difference in terms of like the squad environment, not just sort of like the playing style and obviously the technique and everything? Yeah, well, sevens is is such an intimate relationship with with everyone because, yeah, there's 20 guys in a squad. There's 13 of you touring. You form such close relationships with everyone that's in the squad. I guess when you go to 15s then, it's you can almost get lost. I might not see a second row or a prop because I'm just doing backs units, backs meetings, um, backs gym sessions, everything's split, right? So you might not see some of those big units for, I don't know, you might run into them at the start of the day and then as you're passing them in the locker and out on the field and that might be it, whereas we're just constantly having those interactions in the sevens environment. Yeah, sure. And so I guess we want to talk about, I guess Freddie mentioned it, um, you're the captain of the Aussie Sevens, which is awesome and it's amazing to be able to talk to you about it. So I guess, what's it like, I guess, so you, you spoke about this intimate relationship. So I guess the captaincy must be different and that must be almost perhaps more personal and more relationship. Is that is that true? Yeah, I think my my leadership style is is one that, leans on and, and tries to create those really close relationships. From my perspective, I will always go into bat for anyone in the team, no matter what it is. And that's if they need me um, off the field, we've got, we've got that close relationship that we can lean on. And then if I need them like on the field, when it, it's a big pressure moment, then, then they, then I can, I know I can lean on them, um, vice versa. So, I think the backbone for what what I really like as as a captain is knowing that I'll I'll go into bat for you. Tell me everything. I will help you no matter no matter what. Um, as long as when we get out on the field, you give me everything back in return. And just looking sort of at it from the point of like the two different codes, obviously you've played a bit of 15s, you were at Leicester for a little bit. Captaining a seven side, how different is that to captaining a 15s? Like an approach you take as well. I haven't had any experience captaining a 15s um, side, but yeah, I, I can only talk from a sevens perspective, but yeah, there'd probably be a lot more... Um, pressure week to week on a 15s guys they're in the spotlight constantly um having to deal with the external stuff a lot more i'm probably lucky in the fact that um 
I don't have to worry about the external stakeholders of the game putting pressure on your performance every week so much. I can actually just put all my energy into getting the most out of the team um, and ensuring that we're in a really good place without having to do all that other stuff, which I'm sure would would be um, quite time consuming and just emotionally, um, emotional energy consuming as well. Yeah, so that's why I meant to clarify sort of what you picked up from other people who you played under compared to yourself. Yeah, in, in different codes. Well, um, Tom Youngs at Leicester, he's just a like a super nice guy off the field, but as soon as you get on the field, he's just he just expects you to do your job and be brutal and and he's he just I, I guess it's the way he plays, right? So he he sort of expects that of everyone else um, because he's the one that's leading by example. Uh, at the Waratahs, it was Hoops, Michael Hooper, uh, a really good communicator and once again, someone that just, you know what you're going to get every time you step out on the field with him. He's just, I remember my first game for the Tars looking over at him in the sheds and I could just see him basically going from, calm and communicating and and all that that sort of thing and then he just flipped the switch where i was just like this guy's looks like he's transforming into the hulk in front of me like he's just going through that process of okay it's it's game time now like we're about to get serious um so yeah it's been interesting seeing how guys um captain and i'm not particularly trying to copy anyone but i think it's good to take little bits and pieces from from other guys your captaincy has been described as in just quoting here you're a leader with strong team values authentic care and and an unrelenting pursuit to be better is that something you sort of pride yourself on your drive you're always you know you can improve in somewhere in some way who said that uh i can find the article for you if you give me a second but that was yeah (laughs) let me find the article Um, yeah is that if you answer the question why i do um, I can't actually remember what the words you just said. Sorry. Uh, no, yeah, Matt, Matt, you say it's um a leader with a strong team values, authentic care, and unrelenting pursuit to be better. I would say that's pretty accurate. I think yeah, what I touched on earlier, the care for the guys in the squad is a big one for me, and and how we we build that foundation of wanting to actually work towards a common goal Um, in terms of the pursuit of, I'm not sure what the exact word was to be better of something to be better. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm incredibly motivated. I have been, well, I've been a part of teams and, and I've also been at stages in my career where I, I not coasted, but I was just content and probably didn't push myself. Uh, and I look back at, at that, those times and not well, just knowing that I, I was capable of more mm. and I just don't want to miss out on what I know myself and the squad is so capable of. Um, so that's probably the reason that, yeah if if the external seeing that as well then yeah that's that's how i feel
So that was Tim Walsh uh, just after you announced you were up for Tokyo. Okay. You, and yeah, I mean, yeah, that's well, he, on that. He, on... he knows me pretty well. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I mean, that's quite a good bridge. So we now want to obviously you went to Rio 2016 and you've now got Tokyo this summer, hopefully, yep. unless coronavirus decides to put his head back up. For, looking back at Rio first, what sort of lessons can you guys take from that experience? I'm not sure how many of the squad are going, hopefully, going to Tokyo, but you obviously got to a poor start. I think you lost to France in the opener. Yeah. Sort of, what sort of lessons can you take from those? Um, well, I can probably split the question up into two parts, personal and team. Um, from a team perspective, I, th- yeah, I don't, I don't want to talk too negatively about, um, Rio, but I, th- I think looking back, obviously it was disappointing, right? We came eighth. We, we knew that we should have done a whole lot better than we did. Um, possibly just our preparation. I know this time and because I'm, I'm in the everyday environment of the current sevens program, just the preparation that we're doing currently for Tokyo, I just feel like I can't remember it being quite that intense uh, in terms of just homework on other teams, um, preparation for different scenarios on the field, whether that be yellow cards or we've got a line out here with 30 seconds to go um, and this is the score, what are we doing? And just knowing all the answers to how are New Zealand going to play? How are Fiji going to play? What's this individual player likely to do in this situation? What's his default? Um, all those things, I just can't remember quite the detail. I think the other thing was it was the first time that rugby had been in the Olympics, right? So everyone's like, holy shit, like we're at the Olympics. Like what is going on? Like this is crazy. Are we even meant to be here? Like is this a dream? And I think I, I probably, um, I'll admit I probably got caught up in that. Um, and I, I yeah, I, I just couldn't believe that, wow, we're actually here. And then realised, well, we actually have to play. It's not just here to uh, participate, like we're here to win. Uh, and going on to more of that personal experience, I had had a, a lot of trouble with my knees um, in the lead up to Rio um, with an ACL just under a year out and then a subsequent um, meniscus injury about six weeks prior. And I thought I was all right. I was training okay. Um, like getting my body wasn't really holding me back um, in the training. But then as soon as we got out on the field, um, I just couldn't execute what I, what my mind wanted to be able to. Um, so if, yeah, for me, that was disappointing because I, I thought I was right. And yeah, I've always felt like um, responsible because I couldn't perform the way I wanted to. So yeah, that was disappointing for me knowing that I had that impact on the team that I, I couldn't play as well as I wanted to. Yeah. 
And I, I want to quickly just go back to that team bit where you're saying this is sort of like the most preparation you've done for looking at other teams and other players and so on. Who, who, who would you say spearheading this? Would you say it's the players, the Rugby Australia setup, or the, yourself or the coach? Or like where's this stemmed from? Yeah. Um, well, we're super lucky that we got Walshy um, as our coach and he's been there and come away with the biggest um, prize in the gold medals with the women um, in Rio. So he's super familiar with what it takes and, and I guess the whole Olympic setup. His style as a coach is one that he just wants to know that there's no stone unturned in the preparation. And if, if we know everything that we could have known and we've prepared the best we could have, then ultimately it's up to the players to go out and execute the game plan. And like we, we're training every day. So hopefully that should just fall into place and, and not be an issue if everyone just does their job. So he's the one that um, is, I guess, the one that is putting the emphasis on the, um, the preparation, but the players are the ones that present it. So we, we've gone through a couple of teams so far and each, um, each player will get an opposition player and an area of their game to analyze. And then the boys will present it back to the rest of the squad. And from there we'll formulate a game plan for the opposition. So, yeah, it's really good because it, it means that the boys are buying into the game plan because we're ultimately the ones that have come up with it by doing the research, looking at the video, knowing the players. And when, when you're the one that's come up with it and it's not someone telling you, you actually want to go out there and execute it, right? It's not just a, a teacher-student relationship. We're all working together, coming up with it. it we've got the buy-in of the group. And, and that's how we're, we've been doing that for a while now and seeing really good results from it. So yeah, that's, that's how we're going about. And I guess where it came from. That's really interesting hearing sort of as by getting everyone to buy and getting everyone involved, it sort of should help create the intensity and everything you need to hopefully be successful. Just to touch on something else, you obviously mentioned that you went to the Olympics, the overall like awe of being at Olympics, like, whoa, we're here. Have you got, we spoke to Hutch obviously a couple of series ago and he's told a particular story about the Netherlands house. I was wondering if you had any other memories of Rio that you'd <laughs> like, to, like to share with us. Yeah, shocked that that's what he picked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, it's it was the, the opening ceremony. I remember so the, the stadium's there and then there was like a secret path underneath um, into the stadium and all the countries are lining up outside. And I can just remember hearing over the the stadium's um, like um, speaker system, they said us like welcome team Australia, and then like we start walking underneath and just the noise and like it was just crazy because you've as a kid growing up, all I watched was the athletes walking around whatever um, stadium it was that the Olympics was held at. And seeing like them walking around, waving like crazy, not knowing where to look, wearing their Australian Olympic uniforms. And then all of a sudden I was in that position. Um, and it's, I can still see it so 
like vividly today and clearly. And it was just like an awesome experience to have to actually be there. And when I'd watched it so many times on the TV, um, the other time was, well, yeah, the, the food hall is just crazy. There's just so many athletes of different shapes and sizes and countries all mixing as one. And the, the, the food hall itself would be like six rugby fields, like just on top of each other. It's so big. Um, the most famous person we saw in the food hall was Usain. And it was just like a revolving door of people walking up to him with their phones out, take a selfie. And then they'd just like fall off the back. It was like in cycling, you know how one person goes to the front and then they just fall off the back. Mate, it was like that. And he, he just didn't break stride. He just kept walking and someone had come in photo peel off the back. Next one in photo peel off the back. It was pretty funny, but he's obviously a superstar. Yeah, exactly. Were you one of them? No, no, I, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't game. The, there was already about 50 people behind him walking. So I, I left that one. Yeah. Obviously that's the Olympics of past. And so now looking forward to Olympics of future, obviously you got Tokyo. I want to look at Tokyo and just firstly from the venue, the country, but also from the rugby side of it. Um, obviously okay. we saw what they, they did with the Rugby World Cup in 2019. Are we expecting more of the same? It's just going to be, they're, they're mad for it. They love it. Yeah, I, that's what we're all hoping for. I think even if you look at um, the top league and the players that they're attracting in Japan at the moment, rugby is just booming over there. So for us, it's super exciting because we're playing in a great stadium, hoping that there'll be heaps of locals there um, to be able to cheer us on and, and support rugby. Um, I think it's going to be a fantastic spectacle off the back of, yeah, the, the Rugby World Cup and the current um, interest in in the top league. And, um, yeah, so do you think, so obviously we, we spoke about the opening ceremony in the food hall and unfortunately we probably can't see it being exactly the same as it was before. Is this something that you sort of... Um, I guess, sort of prepared for almost to sort of expecting that it's going to be a different kind of spectacle? Yeah, I don't think anyone's under any illusion that it's going to be pretty different. We're, we're well aware of that. There's only really Hutch and myself that have been to an Olympics before in the current squad. Oh, sorry, Louis as well when he will come back. Uh, so from that sense they're probably not it's almost good because they're not going to know any different um and ultimately we just want a chance to compete the gold, a gold medal still a gold medal it might just be a gold medal that didn't have an opening ceremony attached to it i'm pretty sure i could tell you that all the guys would rather have a gold medal than go to an olympic ceremony so yeah we're we're trying to talk through those things and understand how it's going to be different. We also don't want to bombard guys because to be honest, we actually don't know what it's going to look like either. And I don't think the AOS, the Australian Olympic committee or the IOC even knows completely yet. Um, so the, the good part about COVID is everyone's just become so adaptable, right? So 
we're just trying to channel that and um yeah when when we get to the village it's we're just gonna have to play it how it is and and deal with it as all the countries are going to do you think having no international fans also announced that it's only the Japanese will be do you think that's gonna have a big impact uh, potentially on some sports that the Japanese don't like, but I think rugby should be pretty safe. I, well, yeah, uh, back to the question before that they're, they're super passionate about the game. So I think they should be, yeah, filling it out. And rugby sevens is arguably even more exciting than 15. So yeah, I'm sure they'll, they'll get around it. Now, okay, so now I'm looking at it for the rugby. Obviously, as it is the World Series, seven is such an unforgiving format. Because if you say, you, if, like you guys in 2016, if you lose your first game, you're immediately on the back foot. Do you think, just from my personal perspective, I'm quite excited because you got, there hasn't been a World Series this year. There's a, it's almost a blank slate. There's been no preparation, mm-hmm. very little match times. One of the most open competitions to date. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. But it's, it's almost like everyone's gone into hiding and no one knows what everyone has been planning for the last year. So unlike, yeah, as you say, unlike any year previously, you'd, you'd get to see what combinations are working, who their new players are, um, have they changed their style of play? We just don't know any of these things. And so I'm sure teams are trying to get footage of other teams playing domestic tournaments. And um, there was a tournament in Dubai recently where a couple of, teams played so yeah I'm sure all the coaches and the analysis teams will be scratching up that footage to see well who's running around in there and that sort of thing but it's going to be open as as you find the majority of the sevens tournaments are it's you just if you get off to a bad start it, it's pretty hard to come back because there's just not enough time so as always, consistency of performance is going to be at the forefront and who can consistently put six games of really good rugby together, particularly in the quarterfinal, semifinal matches where the pressure's on and you're playing, you're trying to, in the quarter, give yourself a chance to play for a medal and then that semi to give yourself a chance to play for the gold medal. Yeah, it's, it's going to be like sevens on steroids because it's just going to be so uncertain. How, how do you train for that in training for those quarterfinal and semifinals sort of like the games that are as like almost as uh, necessary and essential to win as a final, but you don't get the gold medal at the end of the game. Yeah, that's, that's the question that I wish I could answer easily, but honestly, how, like, how do you replicate that? It's so hard. Like you can, you can put all you want on the line, say, all right, like you can try and apply pressure in different ways at training, bringing different people in, uh, changing a different stimulus, putting like a, like a penalty for example, like a fitness on the end, if this isn't achieved or something like that, but nothing can replicate that. So it's, I think it's just, belief that you're capable of being in those big games and performing and like a really good understanding of how you want to play and what your role is so that when the heat comes on and the pressure comes on, you've done it so many times that you just default to what you know, which is your role and the game plan. Because it's, if you, if you were to go out and try and simulate 
the pressure, it's impossible. You just can't do it. So, yeah, we just we're, – all we're trying to do is ingrain patterns, your role, that sort of thing. And when the heat comes on, if we default to that, then that's that's all we can ask. Yeah. If you're a betting man right now, as we talked about the openness, which teams do you think are going to be going in that gold medal match? Any surprise packages who you might have more knowledge on this than us could potentially cause an upset? Um, well, yeah, it's who's going to be playing us. It'll be... Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's the usual suspect. Um, New Zealand uh, have been able to play quite regularly um, some domestic tournaments. Fiji, there's a seventh tournament on every weekend. Um, so it's, it, it's not like those two will be short of game time. Um, South Africa are, are always in in the mix as well. So... Look, I think it'll be one of those three teams against us. Obviously, we've had a few of the GB guys on here. Obviously, they've obviously had a very tricky 12 months, but they're still capable mm-hmm. of posing a threat. Would you, would you say so? Definitely. And I think if you look back historically, um, well, England and probably GB always seem to turn up in the big tournaments. The Com Games, um, last... Um, last Olympics, they're always a threat in um, the big tournament. So, yeah, it's for sevens, it's, it's awesome to see that they've been able to come together and and start training, which is fantastic. And, yeah, I've left them out of that equation because I was probably thinking more UK, uh, sorry, England and Scotland and Wales as separate entities. But, yeah, throw them all together and and that would be a threat as well. And you, do you you must obviously approach GB as differently as if you were playing against England or Scotland or Wales. Like it's is it almost a totally different team? Would you say or? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know how guys individually are going to play and what they offer. Um, I yeah, it's just up to their head coach how he brings that together. I suppose. Much like the rest of the teams, we haven't seen GB, but I also haven't seen South Africa play. I also haven't seen um, Fiji or New Zealand play in a year. So it's it's just going to come back to a lot of individual analysis on the player. And I think if you know what the player is going to do, then you can sort of figure out what shapes and patterns they're going to be playing as a team. And so I want to slightly move on from the topic of the upcoming Olympics or so on. And I guess you mentioned about how you had 15s experience and sevens experience, but I guess they say the training in sevens is on a completely another level. Like you get pushed to sort of your deepest, darkest place and you get caught in this almost cave. How, how do you personally sort of, I guess, manage that and sort of push through it, as you said, every day of the week? Well, I, I used to struggle. That's right. I used to uh, struggle and I think it's probably something that as you get deeper into your career, you come to terms with, but become more comfortable with um, because you know, ultimately, if you, if you want success, you're going to need to get into that place and then perform in that place as well. 
Um, I'm not sure it's ever easy. And I don't think anyone ever, if anyone tells you that they enjoy it while it's happening, they're lying to you. Uh, but I think you can understand and enjoy and appreciate the end result of, of why you need to do it and what it offers you in terms of being able to execute something in the 14th minute of a game. Um, yeah, there's, there's not too much else I can say on that. Yeah, the training is super hard sometimes, but it's just, it's part of it, isn't it? And I get what, I guess, what's a typical fitness test almost? Just a picture sort of the, the yeah, the hardship that you guys go through. Uh, our standard test at the moment is the yo-yo, but we've done, which is, if you don't know, like it's a variation of the beat test where you, um, it gets a lot quicker than the beat test early. Um, but you get 10 seconds rest in between each rep, which sounds nice, but that 10 seconds is probably where you realize how cooked you are. Um, so we do that. We've done Broncos at various other times and there's lots of different ways that they find to, to torture us. Uh, but the yo-yo is probably our standard. And I think our highest score recently was 22. And so, yeah, I think we had the, the top couple of guys in the whole of, well, we definitely got the fittest player in um, Australian rugby. And I think we might've even had three, the, the top three. So who's that? Which is good. Uh, Josh Turner was the fittest. Wow, fair enough. Well, yeah. I think I think that's sort of a fantastic insight to, I guess, what what we've had and I guess what we look forward to in the next few months. So thank you very much, Nick, for jumping on our podcast. Um, I've personally fascinated about the sevens world and how sort of crazy it gets, especially in training. Um, but yeah, thank you, and we we um. I uh, got my fingers crossed for you guys in the upcoming Olympics. So, yeah, cheers. Thank you very much, guys. It was great to have a chat. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. No worries. Come on! Go! Thanks for listening to the Tap and Go podcast. I'm Guy Thompson, and I'm a Looseheads ambassador the mental health movement, normalising the conversation in rugby. Head over to looseheads.co.uk and get 15% off at the checkout now with code TAP and GO. Take care. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.